Good morning, good morning, Renew. Uh, it's good to be back in the Northgate Community Center. Uh, we had a couple weeks of awesome time going back to our roots in a home church setting and uh, had a lot of good scripture study um, in community and sharing time and sharing meals together. So that was awesome. And, uh, but we're here and there's new finished floors. We noticed that there's a ping pong, concrete ping pong table that's new there. So a lot of changes in our structure, in our building. <laughs> Whoa. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we are continuing to roll in Genesis. Uh, we're in Genesis 4, and we're in a pretty famous passage of Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel. And one of the more famous or well-known verses in this story is, Am I my brother's keeper? And I love this one because this is where God is asking, what you, like, where is Abel to, to Cain? And Cain is like, am I my brother's keeper? And as a boy growing up, being a brother to my younger sister and a younger brother to my older brother, um, this was it's kind of PK humor, pastor's kid humor. We like to use this line a lot, and it would infuriate my father. But... <laughs> Where, you know, he'd ask my brother, what have you done to David? Why is he crying? Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> or he'd ask me, what about Esther? What's going on with her? Am I my sister's keeper? Right? And my dad would be like, no, that's not how you use the word of God. Right? Not to mention, that was said in sin. <laughs> um, but we see this as kind of a common theme. It echoes of... God asking, where are you, Adam and Eve? After they've eaten from the fruit, he asks, where are you? And um, this question points to a relationship that's been broken between God and people. In, in the garden, God creates humanity, and he's walking with Adam and Eve. He's been walking with Adam and Eve, and they've been close. But after they, Adam and Eve have eaten from the fruit, um, all of a sudden... Um, they know that they're naked, and they feel ashamed, and they're also hiding from God. And this is where God says, where are you? And I think this question is basically God saying, hey, come out from your hiding place, right? Deal with me. Look me face to face. Restore this relationship that we had, because something's wrong. We're not walking together anymore, and stop hiding. The same thing God is asking Cain where is your brother Abel? Where? Right? There's this broken relationship. Your sin, you've murdered Abel, and there's this broken relationship. And you're hiding your face in shame from me. Right? Even though it's the most, one of the most atrocious things um, that can be done, um, God is still wanting to dialogue uh, with Cain. God is wanting to ask, where is your brother? Um, so we are in Genesis 4, 1 through 16, and I'll just go uh, break this passage into four different parts and go bit by bit. But beginning in verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Right, let me read that again. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. First of all, uh, this is interesting to me, though there are consequences to sin. Um, and these consequences include pain and labor, and also this kind of tension between husband and wife. There, 
the desire for a woman will be for her husband, and then after that, uh, the man will continually strive to rule over his wife, and this will uh, create a tension. Yet, um, there's this beauty in um, how people are fruitful and multiply. Like Adam made love right, to his wife. It's not this biological thing. It's not this technical thing. It's love, right? It's, it's, it's uh, intimate, and it's beautiful, and it's a part of, I think, the goodness of creation. And we need to remember that as a church, because I know for me, growing up in the, as a little boy in the church, sometimes, as a Christian, sometimes sex or <laughs> things like that uh, were bad, right? Were considered bad as something um, that should elicit shame. It's something that I should hide uh, myself. It's something that's private and just for me. Um, but as we see in creation, that it is a part of God's plan, and it's a good thing, and we need to remember that. Sex is a good thing. Um, so she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Cain. Um, the second thing that I see here is um, that she, she, um, she blesses that time of giving birth to Cain and says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Right? It's kind of like T Tom Hanks in Castaway. I have made fire. Eve is like, Whoa, I, with the help of God, I have made a human being. A human being has come out of my womb, right? She's just amazed that something so amazing, like that she has participated in the creative process, right? There's still this beauty that's going on, and God is inviting humanity to partner with him into this beauty of creation. And so um, she's amazed, and she's being worshipful, um, the second thing that I want to note about that is that Cain is the firstborn son, is the firstborn. So he gets all of this credit, he's lauded, right? And then Abel is just a sec is an afterthought in verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, right? So it's Cain, I have brought forth a human being, woo! And God has helped me, he's blessed me. And then Abel was born, right? So we got to remember that. When I thought about this, it was really interesting. Cain himself was the first fruits of Adam and Eve, right? They were the first fruits. He was the firstborn. He was the blessed one, right? And he was the one of privilege, right? He had all the privileges of being the blessed firstborn, the first fruits. And we'll see later in this passage, first fruits and firstborn, right, is a very important theme. But it's Cain who's the one who's the privileged, who's the blessed, and who gets all of this, you know, celebration, whereas Abel is just an afterthought, the second son. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Uh, let's read on. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Um, so there's a lot of kind of commentary or thought as to why was Cain's offering not accepted, whereas Abel's offering was accepted. Right? Why was God 
pick, uh, choosing favorites? What was it about this situation um, that made God favor Abel over Cain? And is it God's fault that Cain got angry? Is it God's fault that Cain became jealous, um, had a wrathful jealousy, um, and looked downcast? And so um, if we look at the text, um, you see a few things. One is that they know to bring offering to the Lord, right? No one told them, hey, you need to worship the Lord, and the way that you worship God is to bring offering to God, right? There's no, like, priestly rules that say, if you sin, you must slay a goat and, like, bring your offering to God, bring your first crops to God, bring this or that. They just know that as a result of their labor, as a result of their work, Cain being one that works the ground, the toil, his toil on the ground brings crops, right? And then Abel is the herder, right? Goats and sheep, he's raising flocks, and the toil of his work is the first fruits of sheep and goat. And so um, they both think to bring an offering to God. And this, um, many say, is like, it's an act of worship. Right? We see here Cain and Abel worshiping. Just as we come, we bring our money, we bring our time, we bring our resources, we bring our gifts and talents to God. That's our offering. That's our spiritual act of worship when we give of ourselves. Um, Cain and Abel are worshiping God. They're both worshiping God. So what gives, right? Does God just like meat better? God is a carnivore, so he likes meat better than vegetables. Well, I I can get that, kind of. Um, what's going on? Or is it kind of that, um, if you look in verse 4, Abel also brought an offering. Uh, he brought the fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. Firstborn. So is it that detail of Abel bringing not just any old sheep, but the fattest portions, the best portions of meat, of the firstborn, right? Is that the detail? Um, we don't see anything like that about Cain. Um, so because it's included for Abel, maybe Cain didn't bring the best fruits of his crop or the, <laughs> the fat portions of his crop. I don't know. Um, we don't know what kind of... We know that Cain brought uh, the vegetables and fruit, but we don't know what kind of... Of offering, you can assume, oh, because of God's anger after the fact, maybe that's why. Um, so that's that's an option. Cain didn't bring the best, right? And that's what made God angry. Um, if you look at the text itself, it says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, and then in five, but on Cain and his offering, right? He did not look on with favor. So if you Take that, you see the, the man and the offering. Both have parallel structures of the man and the offering. So it doesn't say uh, God looked on favor at Abel's offering, at the offering itself, but not on Cain's offering. It's the man and his offering. Does that make sense? So God looked on, the Lord looked on favor on Abel, and the Lord looked on fa with favor on Abel's offering, right? But did not look on favor on Cain, the person, and Cain, the offering. Does that make sense? So uh, 
it's not just the offering what it is itself, but maybe there's something that God knows about the heart of the person um, that we're not given necessarily that um, he's favoring Abel. So he can look into the heart of Abel. He can look into the heart of Cain. And then out of that, God showed favor on Abel, but not on Cain. Does that make sense? So there's something that we don't know. It's a mystery, but it has to do with the in, inner workings of Cain and Abel and how they give the offering, what's going on in their heart. And we see further um, that triggers kind of the seed of further emotion and further kind of process in Cain's, uh, within Cain because it says Cain's response to this is that he was very angry and his face was downcast. Literally, his face is looking down. He's mad and he's fuming. And, you know, I kind of reflected on what, what are times in my life or what are situations that make me look down, right, and angry. And I was thinking, I was like, yeah, when there's someone who's taller than me. Then I was like, well, that would make me angry all the time, right? So I got over that little man's disease. Um, when someone is smarter than me, uh, uh, just angry, angry. Or there's that new person in the community, he's just good at everything, funny, everyone laughs at him, right? Talented, can play the piano. Is that guy who's good looking, tall, plays the piano, and funny too, right? It's like, ah! Right? And you say something and no one's listening, and then they say something and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that! And then you're on the side going, I'm looking downcast. Your face is downcast and you're angry, right? Jealousy and envy, right, leads to a certain kind of rage. And the reason why that we get angry and that we rage, perhaps, or want to destroy that other person, because somehow our worth is tied to that activity or that action or that situation, right? That I'm not as pretty as that woman, so that must mean, that must mean something about my worth. And so in, in one way or another, we seek to destroy the other, right? Or I'm not as good as that person. They're better than me, or they're going to take attention away from me, or they're going to take my job away from me, or they're going to take my children's love away from me, or they're going to take this away from me. And so that sense of competition arises. And in this situation, it's about worship, right? And so this is a form of false worship, right? When we attach what we do and what we give and offer to God to some sort of competition, right? Really, is it God that creates this wedge, right? Is it God that creates this wedge? Because you see other places in scripture, God saying, if I want to extend grace, right, if I want to favor someone or something, I'm going to do it. It's my prerogative, right? If I want to show someone love, grace, or favor, it's my prerogative. I love you too, right? And I think God will say this later to Cain. Hey, why didn't you talk to me, right? Why didn't you ask why? Right? God, but we 
take our offering or what we give and we turn it into a competition or a job, right? We say, man, I gave you this God and you didn't, you didn't thank me. You didn't, show, you didn't bless me. You didn't do anything for me. Or we feel this in our jobs, right? I'm working hard and look at these people talking, playing video games, they're surfing Facebook, right? Lazy people and then they get credit for everything. You're like, ah, right? I'm so good. And you're like, to your bosses, you're like, you never, you don't give me a raise. You're ungrateful. And then you give all this loud person all the, all the credit, right? And you get so mad. And I think that's attaching um, a sort of legalism to the things that we do, the things that we offer, right? Whether it's love or service or worship, right? I, every so often, I will do the dishes in the morning and clean the house, right? To show that Janice, her love language is service, that I love her, and I'll do it. And it should just be done out of love, right? Without any kind of return, anything to, of her saying back to me. But so I'll just wait. When she wakes up, I'll sit there and watch her and go, <laughs> do you notice? Right, to see if she sees and notice. And if she doesn't, I'm like, <laughs> right? Hey, I noticed the, oh, the kitchen's really clean today, Janice, right, right? And she'll just go on. I'm like, oh, why did I even do that? Right, but love, pure love, just does it without anything in return, right? Like, I do it because I love her. I don't do it because she's gonna give me credit, but I want credit, right? And we want credit for what we do. And Cain feels angry because God didn't give him credit. Right? God gave Abel more credit than him. And so, but I think the problem is not that he's angry or downcast, right? And this is a deep thing that we should remember. Like anger in of itself is not bad. Right? You shouldn't feel shame because you get angry, right? If I burn my hand on a stove, I get angry. Or stub my toe, I get angry. That's a the body's natural response. It's the fight or flight. That's, in many ways, anger is there to protect us, right? It's natural, but it's what we do with anger, right? Do we let it fester? Do we act upon it in order to hurt people? That's like, that's where the trouble comes. So let's, let's read further. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not accept it? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Right? So that's what God is basically saying is, sin is at your door, Cain. Right? This is the crucial moment. I'm, at, I'm here, and I want to I wanna deal with you. Before you go and do something crazy, and act upon that anger, 
act upon what's festering inside you, come on, like, have a reality check. That's, you could ask me what's going on, talk to me. Because if you open that door, if you open that door, man, right? Something evil is outside of that door and it's gonna overwhelm you, right? Don't open the door. And all of us understand that in our lives, right? Any of us who have been overwhelmed by sin, like just a weakness that we have, we know what that door is, right? For me, it is, you know, growing up, my father had a lot of rage, right? And it, it's sins of the father, basically. I've gone through a lot of counseling for anger, went through a lot of relationships, dating relationships that were messed up um, because of it. And through God's grace, right, he's healed me, he's given me tools to deal with it, but I know that door, right? I know that something is out there always lurking, and if I open the door, it's gonna overtake me. And we know that. And we think we can like, yeah, I'll just open it a little bit and like shut it real quick, right? Whatever it is, you guys know it. I'm not gonna put it in your mouth. I'm just gonna open it a little bit and just like flirt with that because it kind of feels good, right? Yeah, that thing. And then we're like, and I'll shut it. That's not, that's not what God's saying. You open that thing, and you will be overwhelmed, right? And so what does Cain do? Let's read on. Uh, now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field, back to the beginning. <laughs> um, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So, you know how they say uh, crimes of passion or murder of passion? You know, that's kind of not understandable, but, you know, that happens. But the, the craziest things are premeditated, right? And this is premeditated, right? Cain's thought about it, he's festered on it, and he, he plans it out. He says to his brother Abel, let's go to the field, right? This is a premeditated act which means that just as God said, he's opened the door, right? And sin was there and it took over, right? His desires, it ruled over him instead of Cain ruling over it, right? And so he opens the door and while they're in the field, he kills them. Still, God doesn't zap Cain right away. Just like with Adam and Eve when he says, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. They don't surely die, right? God still wants to have this conversation. And so I think there's a little bit of kind of uh, 
the picture of grace or the gospel happening here that even though this is like an extreme sin, right? God is still talking with Cain. He's like, where is your brother Abel? Where? I don't know, right? The snake made me do it. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? And so now again, we get the same pattern with Adam and Eve. We get a curse, which is the consequences of his actions. And the curse is he will be driven from the ground. So the ground is that which he has been toiling. Remember with Adam and Eve's curse, the curse was the ground will be cursed. And so you will have to work hard to even get fruit out of it. Right. But fruit will come. And so that was Cain's job was he was a farmer. So he worked the ground that was cursed, but fruit came out of it. Now this curse goes a little further. The consequence deepens in that Cain will be cursed, that his work, his very work, his purpose will be cursed. So even though he works and toils on the ground, nothing will come up. You watered and watered that flower. That's like me as a gardener, right? We got flowers along our driveway that are brown, and I'm like, they're not supposed to be brown, right? They're not supposed to be like, like this. They're, everything's dying in our yard. Like when we bought the house, it was some like retired people who were like gardeners and everything was beautiful. And I came and I just yeah, made it spartan, right? And everything that is delicate and colorful is just dying, right? Uprooted everything. Um, why I went on that? Oh yeah, that's what Cain, he's gonna be a black thumb. He's not gonna be a green thumb, he's gonna be a black thumb. Right? Everything that he does, not, there's not going to be fruit. Right? So we talked about the purpose and the blessing of God is to go and be fruitful and multiply, to go and work right, and flourish. The curse for Cain is that his work and purpose and his calling in life is not going to flourish. It's going to be fruitless. So that's a pretty big curse. Um, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth, which is the title of this sermon. You will be a west, restless wanderer. So basically, the first nomad, right? The first wandering person. Um, not a farmer, right? Just wandering to find. And the reason why he's wandering purposefully on the earth is he has to move from place to place to find food, right? Whether it's hunting or gathering, he's just con like continually bear grills, right? Wild man. He's just continually like looking in the wild, looking for food. Um, God's mandate and purpose for humanity is that they would be fruitful and multiply. But now Cain's curse completely restricts him from carrying out purposeful work. Cain was a man of the land, and that very working of the soil, his very meaning, an identity, the very thing where he was giving offering to God has been stripped away, right? That which he feared losing, right? My identity in farming and giving my fruits to God, because of he acted in anger and jealousy to kill his brother and do a false act on his false religion, false worship, right? That very purpose was stripped away by God. That's the curse. 
he became a self-fulfilling prophecy. <clears throat> Have you ever been a restless wanderer in your life? Stripped of meaning and purpose and what seems like the ability to do anything well? Have you ever felt cast out of the garden without any hope of being fruitful? Right. I think we can all understand or point to a time um, that we've felt like that. So continuing on verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me uh, from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So Cain is like, this is too much. These consequences are too much for me. And if you break down what Cain says about his punishment is more than he can bear, uh, the, the consequences of um, his actions, um, they break down into four kind of categories. So sorry, the scripture is kind of small. Uh, but he will have no place or home, right? Nowhere to lay his head, nowhere to call him home, right? And he will be a restless, no food. He'll have no food. A restless wanderer, forced to move around to find food. Um, also, what Cain is complaining about is no fellowship with God. I will no longer be with you. I will no longer have fellowship with you. And then the final thing. So no place, no food, no fellowship. And then finally, no security. Right? Wherever I go, people will try to kill me. And those are all parts of us, right? Parts of what make us whole or parts of what we desire to have for our lives, right? We want home, we want food to eat, we want fellowship or connection with God, and we want security, safety. And these are things that Cain is saying, this punishment is too much. I don't have a home, I don't have food, I'm wandering. I don't have fellowship with you and people are gonna be out to kill me. I don't feel safe. Just take my life now. But what is, look at God's response, right? Because in, so in so much as God puts a curse and consequence on Cain because of his sin and his actions, um, he also puts a mark on Cain, right? And I, I wanna take this place to interject. You know, there are, Christian traditions or churches or people who take this passage and say, right, the mark of Cain, right, that's the cursed people. And that's totally off, right? It's totally off because actually the, the mark on Cain is a good thing, right? Well, first of all, it's not a bad thing. It's not a part of the curse. It's God's grace in the midst of the curse. That Does that make sense? Just as God made leather clothing for Adam and Eve to clothe them, right? A grace in the midst of the curse. God gives, God hears Cain's prayer, right? This is too much for me and puts a mark on him. It's a grace in the midst of the curse. Does that make sense? So, and what is the grace? The grace is, I'll put this mark on Cain so that everyone will know Instead of, if you kill Cain, 
you, they will, you will suffer vengeance seven times over. Right? God's got Cain's back. Right? No one is going to kill you. So the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So he's in, he's in a totally different land in the east of Eden. And before we say, ugh, I'm not a Cain, I think Cain is the person that we need to step into the shoes of. This is about us, because all of us are living in east of Eden, right? We are all outside of Eden. None of us, are you living in Eden? Are you living in Eden? Are you living in Eden? All of us are not in the perfection of Eden, right? We're not walking with the Lord, right? Talking face to face. Everything's good and perfect. We're living in shame. We struggle. We open the door to sin, right? Our faces are downcast. We do crazy things to other people, right? We are all east of Eden. Um, and the gospel, the good news, is that there's fellowship and mercy and grace for us even outside of Eden. That's the gospel, right? And essentially, that is um, the story of Scripture, right? If we were to sum up all of Scripture, because this is, this is a story, Right? This is a story, and there's foreshadowing. Right? Adam and Eve, they rebel. Sin enters the world. Then you have Cain and Abel. You have the first murder in history, recorded murder. Right? And things, when you can keep reading, right, things just get really whack, really fast, really bad, really evil. All the way to the point where God sends a flood and like, Man, is there anyone righteous in this world? Right? And so we see this kind of, this growing, the plot is thickening, right? The conflict is getting larger. Sin is growing, right? And yet God's desire to restore and redeem is also growing. He's becoming more creative in his mercy, right? He's becoming more lavish in his love, right? Extending it over and over again. Saying, you are my people, you are my people, here's my covenant, here's my covenant. Come back, come back, here's mercy, here's grace. And so the story of scripture, you have God, you have creation, you have rebellion, and then you have recreation, right? That's the gospel, that's Jesus Christ, ultimately, right? The plan for recreation and restoration. And then you have it come full circle, that we're with God again, right? God, creation, rebellion, recreation with God. And so, right, that's the cliff notes for the Bible. That we don't have to like study the Bible or anything like that. <laughs> you got it, right? That's it. Um, uh, the curse of the restless wanderer becomes the gracious blessing. As God's desire for humanity be, to be fruitful and multiply necessarily requires migration out of Eden, right? Do you think about it? Um, also, side note, there's other people in the world that can kill Cain, right? Like, 
from the way that Cain, from the way we read it, it's like, oh, Cain and Abel are the first two children of Adam and Eve. And yet Cain's like, there's other people who are going to kill me. Either there's like, Adam and Eve really got busy, right? And like, right? Just rabbits, right? Really fast. Or I don't know, right? There are other, we just have a singular story about a particular place and there's others, humanities out there happening, right? I don't know. Um, but if God's desire is for humanity to be fruitful and multiply, this necessarily requires migration beyond Eden, right? That's my logical brain working. And though we see that Cain will no longer farm the land, um, we see later um, that he has lots of descendants, right? He has children. Um, they do evil stuff, some of them, but he has children, he has whole cities, right, from his descendants. So. There's pros, you know, there's pro, I should say prosperity. There's flourishing that happens. Um, so even in our heinousness, God still wants to preserve. Um, so in some summation, uh, I want to bring this back to worship and the worship of God. Sin. When we sin, there are consequences. And these consequences are self-chosen consequences. It's not somebody else's fault, right? Sin is disobedience or turning away from God. And there's always gonna be consequences to that, right? But number two, when we sin, graciousness comes from God, right? Grace comes from God. But false religion says one of two things about that. When we sin, either there are no consequences, right? It's okay. Don't worry. You can do anything you want, right? Ah, it's all, it's all, you know, anything's possible, right? Don't worry about it. So it kind of takes away from consequences. Or false religion says to be saved and forgiven, you have to clean your act up yourself. Right, clean yourself up and make yourself worthy before you can come to God. Right? So those are two things that false religion says, and they're both off. Right? It's either this, there's no sin, or in order to you need to save yourself. Clean your act up. But true worship or true kind of relationship with God is when we sin, there are consequences. And these consequences are self-chosen consequences. But then, too, God has grace for us, and this grace comes from God. And we need to receive it, and he's calling us to receive it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for uh, your message of grace to us. Thank you so much that um, you even attempt and try and continue to want to re restore and redeem us and restore relationship with yourself restore the broken uh, pieces in our lives and we're so grateful for that we don't deserve that um, help us to have an honest perception of our own actions uh, and their consequences um, to accept the gravity of sin and um, 
to be strong in the midst of temptation, to not open that door and allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by sin, but to instead to turn to you uh, for strength uh, um, and protection. And when we do sin, I pray that um, your grace will continue to cover us and that we'll have the humility um, as individuals and corporately as a body uh, to go on our hands and knees um, to ask um, that you will come to us again and restore us. In your name, amen.